0: That's noo to sign up today.
1: Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about rotoballer.com. I do a lot of my written content over there, season-long baseball, DFS for NFL and MLB, and yes, NFL's in the books. Congratulations, Los Angeles Rams. But we are ready for the MLB baseball season. Sure, it's locked out. We're getting baseball, folks. Believe it. Just believe it. We're getting baseball, and we're going to have you ready at rotoballer.com to win your fantasy leagues. And it all starts with the draft we got a draft guide over there for premium members at rotoball.com I got a couple of articles. We got some special articles from people I can't talk about yet that are going to be in there. We also got Eric Smolsky. We got Ariel Cohen. We got uh, Nick Mariano. We got the king himself, Scotty Engel. Many, many more over there at rotaballer.com. Become a premium member. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A. Get you 10% off the premium package of your choice. And that counts for season-long baseball and DFS. I told you I got DFS content over there. You got the optimizers. You got so many cool articles over there. And it got you all locked up for the entire baseball season. So win big, win big with rotoballer.com. Use promo code Bubba for 10% off the premium package of your choice and start winning like a boss. (laughs) And welcome back everybody to another episode of bench with Bubba episode 439 special guest joining me today rejoining me for another time on this wonderful endeavor he was my first ever guest on bench with Bubba way back in the day he's been back a few other times since then of course but uh, he's a good friend of mine good friend of the fantasy community he's a even though he's a Dodgers fan we get along just fine you can find him on Twitter at Brock nest monster and his fantasy work over at FTN fantasy Brock Miller how we doing my friend
0: Hey, what's up, bubs? Um, happy to be back on here talking baseball with my homies. One of my favorite things to do, um, you know, for, for sure. And then, uh, you know, especially you're looking to talk some Dodgers. So, um, you know, hopefully something that I could share a little bit of extra insight on. So.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I know you can for sure. That's why the outline was easy for me. And it's funny to have like a couple listener questions and it's all on the outline already. We got you covered. It was already there, but, um, before we get going, I know you got some things changing in your life, but kind of uh, let people know what you've been up to at FTN Fantasy. You've got some great content coming out there. Uh, the draft guide has been great, and you've been a part of that.
0: Yeah, we we put out that uh, draft gu- draft guide in late December. Um, you know, I, I, I put forth a, an article just on DC's um, kind of a I want to say I kind of tried to zoom out a little bit. I wanted to try to hit all the topics. Um, There there was not a whole lot of nuts and bolts in there, Um, but I I think I summarized up DC's pretty good there and had just enough on strategy and uh, left a couple of the the pieces a little bit open-ended there. And then over the last uh, several weeks, uh, I've been coming out with uh, articles on on FTM um, kind of covering, uh, you know, I, I talked in the draft guide a little bit about that strategy for, Drafting in DCs late, and then so all these articles over the last few weeks have kind of been that. You know, I I started out. I think I covered um, uh, corner infielders first. Uh, corner infielders after draft uh, draft pick 450. You know, so after the thirtieth round and on. Um, you know, kind of really getting into you know the the deeper part of the drafts. That's the part of the drafts that don't come up in OCs and stuff like that. And so um, kind of going after those late round targets. And so I moved from there. Middle infielders, catchers, outfielders. Uh, and then uh, pitchers, and then the most interesting one, uh, relief pitchers, you know, taking some darts on some saves uh, in, in the late, late rounds there. So that's kind of what I've been working on at FTN. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure everybody's noticed FTN all over Twitter. Um, you know, the the team's been hard at work. Matty Wood, Vlad, Matt Kupfer-Lee, Um, We've had a couple guest pieces on there, and um, the draft guide had some awesome guest pieces on there. I'm, I'm guessing by this point pretty much everybody's – taking a look at the draft guide by now, but um yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are.
1: Yeah. It's awesome stuff. Uh, I've, I've talked about it. Um I know uh, I've had some other people on the show that have talked about it as well. And like that Jenny Butler article was an eye opener on how to analyze and draft. Like it's just genius stuff. So many smart people out there. So I highly recommend everybody check out FTN for the great work. Great people support the friends and uh, get better at fantasy baseball at the same time. But One thing you mentioned there, we're going to kind of talk early season drafting, what we've seen here and there. But you mentioned you wrote that also fun piece on the bullpens on closers, and we know it's well documented and talked about how the closer runs have been crazy in DCs. And there is like one argument: well, there is no fabs, so you got to get your saves. That's just the way it goes. So you got to pay the piper, but some guys don't believe in paying the piper, and you got to go get the late guys, like you mentioned. What are you doing with closers? Like, what are you taking away from this early draft that uh, stands out to you when you are drafting closers?
0: Yeah, so a big thing with me, I mean, that was definitely something that has kind of surprised me as as the draft seasons kind of come on. I, you know, I I figured as uh, less pitchers are going to be going out there and and getting saves when when the um, uh, bullpens are, you know, getting a little bit more spread out, playing more matchups and stuff like that. You know, you're still going to need saves. You're still going to need that that stat that stat in 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 roto leagues. And you know, I I figured it was going to push closers up some, but you know, the the degree that we're seeing here, um, you know, second round for those top two guys there, you know, third round for Rice Alo Um, I just I, I don't know that I can do it. Um, it's definitely been the most surprising thing I've seen so far this this draft season. But uh, you know, for me, um feeling feeling good about locking in, you know, 35 saves early on. Um, I mean, it's just it's only one category. You know, this would be like um drafting uh Miles Straw in in the third round um I mean it's not a, exactly the same you know you draft Miles Straw in the first round like he's only going to hit four home runs yeah. that's going to hurt it's it's not like Liam Hendricks is only going to like strike out 10 guys but I mean that the the difference between Liam Hendricks and then you know drafting somebody that you feel good about that's available at like pick 150 um you know that that guy's going to strike out 65 instead of like 85 guys but otherwise, you know, 30 saves versus 35 saves, I just, I don't, I don't know that I can really pay, you know, um, on on those top two guys there. Um, So, I mean, it was kind of interesting to me, you know, um, there's a lot of guys that were available a little bit later in drafts last year, and these aren't guys that went out and got 30 saves. You didn't, you know, magically stumble upon a, a Kenley Jansen in the 35th round or anything like that, but you're definitely able to find guys that, went out there and, and got nine saves over the course of a month and a half or, or whatever, you know, and and if you can grab a couple of those guys late to kind of plug in the, uh, the end of your, um, your, your save stats. Um, I, I think that's the way to go. So, I mean, I'm definitely trying to lock in one guy, you know, that was the thing reviewing top 10 teams in DCs from last year. Uh, most of those teams, did lock in one top guy. You know, they they had somebody that went out there. It was a bell cow. That was 30, 34 saves or whatever. If, if you were lucky enough and got 38 saves out of Mark Valance, and that was great. Um, it was kind of that. And then there was like a lesser save, uh, a lesser closer, somebody that maybe, you know, 20, 22 saves. You know, I, I had a lot of, um, of uh, um, oh, man, why can't I think of his damn name? Uh, Reed up in uh, San Francisco, you your- Oh, uh, McGee. Uh, or Jake McGee McGee. Uh, I had a lot of Jake McGee last year Um, I just kind of took a look at that bullpen and he looked like you know the way that he pitched for the Dodgers the the year before he looked like the best arm in that bullpen and kind of went for him and that that paid off really well 29 saves he was available late I don't think you're gonna um, be able to get that uh, that that same kind of guy you're not going to get 30 saves that late or anything like that but I I think that's the way to go, you know, take, take a bell cow early, um, maybe not second round, but early. Uh, and then after that, maybe get a 20 saves guy and then just have a handful of guys, you know, towards the end that, you know, are going to spend six weeks as a, as a closer at some point. I think, I think, I think that's doable.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, I'd say it's pretty much where I've been. I try to get one of the big guys if I can, like, um, I'm not in love with Classe, but I get it. Like Iglesias is the guy I love, but he's going so early now. It's like I want one of the top, you know, a ish give or take, maybe seven guys. Where I, because I, that's the reason why they're getting pushed up is there's, like, the guy that's locked into a role. There's only so many right now. Yep. And sure it's it's February. And we'd expect to have a little more clarity on things, but that's not the world we live in, in lockout land. So it's like, that's why like one of the questions I have later is about ADP is not changing, so it's weird kind of doing these same types of drafts and doing it. And that's why the closer situation is going that way. Um, Just per se, if you're taking one guy early, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. How many specs are you taking later on? Because that's one of the interesting conversations. I don't think it's talked about enough is, some people take like you know five six specs. Some take a lot of specs and kind of eat up their roster spots. Uh, do you? Again, and there's probably no rhyme or reason. It just depends on the draft. But do you have kind of an idea of how many you like to kind of leave the draft with?
0: Yeah, for in in the DCs, um, I, I pretty much you know like I say one bell cow, um, one guy that I feel good about, um, which so far has has been a whole lot of lo- Lucas Sims. I really like Lucas Sims, so he's kind of like my my middle guy. And then after that, I mean, I'm looking at like four or five um, if I happen to do a draft, you know, and I'm, I'm doing a few DCs. So I want to cast a little bit of a wider net. So I do have a couple where I did go and, you know, get two closers. Um, I have a couple where like Lucas Sims was my first closer. Um, so it just kind of depends. So like that draft where Lucas Sims was my first closer, you know, then we're talking like six guys late, you know, like my 49th pick, you know, was um, who? uh Guerra, um, the guy for Oakland that nobody thinks is oh, gonna yeah, yeah. I know get any saves, because yeah. he's thirty-two. He's like, it's not actually like great. I can't remember Del Delwa, uh, Del I probably Delois Guerra. Yeah. Delois Guerra, thirty-two years old. Um, he, he's up there in Oakland. I I think at some point you know Trevino gets traded. Um, you know, and and there you go. If you get eight saves with your 49th pick, right there. You, you, you love it. That's great value. So, um, I mean, it just kind of depends. Um, but in most drafts, I would say I'm probably going to have four spec guys and, you know, for, for what it's worth, I've kind of noticed some of these top guys that are um, doing these drafts. Uh, a lot of those big guys, man, they're, they're just taking like two big closers. And yeah. then after that, like almost nothing, like maybe, a you know, one guy here or there or whatever, but, um, it, it is worth noting last year continued, um, 80th percentile for saves continued to decline. I think it was down to 67, but an interesting note that I saw, um, amongst top 25 teams in draft champion leagues last year, um, there was an average of 64 saves, um, where 80th percentile was, was 67. So, I mean, it's like, you know, I always think of like these, these top rosters as being like, you know, yeah, sure. The guy probably was aiming for 80th percentile, but You know, a lot of things went right for him and they ended up with 75 saves and, you know, he ended up, you know, second percentile in saves and a ton of points for saves. I mean, the second best D.C. roster from all of last year only had 44 saves. Yeah. I mean, he was probably like eighth in his league in saves. You know what I mean? Like.
1: So he kicked butt everywhere else. And uh, that's, that's one thing I've tried talking about a few times is when I had Zach Waxman on my show a while back is um, we had a listener question that said, hey, if I just want to win my league, not the overall. I just want to win my league. Um, and that's when you can kind of punt a category. If you just want to win your league, you can do that. And that's where if you want to punt saves and go, screw it, I just want to win that you know the, the league, that's fine. So J- Zach uh, broke it down on if you want to just basically get like a zero in saves, what do you need to finish like 85th percentile everywhere else? Not that big of a gap. And so yeah. if you crush those other spots, like you're saying, instead of take a Hendrickson round two or three and another guy in round four or five, make those like stud hitters or something that replacement value can be quite interesting. So it's just, I, I like talking about it. I know people probably get sick of it because it's been like a big conversation on a lot of shows, but I think it's a, it's an interesting angle to get different people's vantage point on it. Just going to open the mind of people that you don't have to just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean you have to do it type thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I kind of like that idea. I mean, it's occurred to me a couple of times over the last few weeks and like, it's too late. I'm not going to do it. I've been kind of taking some shots down the field. Um, I'm going to try and win an overall, but it it made some sense to me, like, you know, take your bankroll and just hit all those leagues hard and do that punt saves, just punt saves. And if you can cash in like half of them by punting Mm -hmm. saves, like forget about your overall, and just try to win the league. And if you do enough volume, I mean, that, that's kind of hell to be swapping guys in and out for all night on Sunday night. That that kind of yeah. sucks. But, I mean, legit, like, you know, seems like a decent path to go out there and cash in half of those leagues. I mean, you can make a really good return on an investment that way, you know. And then when your bankroll is doubled next year, then then maybe next year go for an overall. I don't know.
1: And even if you just punt like the early guys, but go and get like six or seven potential dudes late, like in rounds 40 on. Yeah. use those picks there and if any of those hit you still have a chance at the overall. So it's a it's an interesting concept if you really like plan ahead.
0: DraftKings um you know in <laughs> investment, the stock market, like all these different things like we've we've seen this lesson play out like enough when the herd is zigging, you know, you you got to try and think of a way to zag and sometimes even if you don't zag like the absolute perfect way, just trying to like it, it, it might work out in the end.
1: Definitely, Most definitely. Um, I know you did very well on cut line formats last year. It's, it's a 10-team league. We talked about it in a couple episodes of Curtis Jones. Lots of really fun stuff there. You got DCs, which are 15, NFBC 50s, which are tw- um, 12 teams. Those are drafting holes. The cut line at least has two fab periods. Um, and it kind of coincides, like you, you mentioned here on the outline, with Dusty Wagner's guest piece. How do you approach... Uh, drafting in those different leagues, the 10 team versus 15 or the 12 versus 15. Uh, What's your mindset difference between the two as we kind of hopefully get closer to actually like fab drafts here pretty soon?
0: Yeah. So um, Dusty did a piece on FTN, a a guest piece for us. Um, It was a great piece on the the, the difference between drafting 12 teamers and drafting 15 teamers. And, you know, the overarching point there, um, I feel like it really kind of corresponds to what I ended up doing on the cut line there is um, kind of, you know, taking shots, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, it's not a perfect way to explain it. But um, I, I've explained it this way a couple times is like, you know, think of trying to win a tournament on DraftKings, you know, you're, you're not just trying to parse through and find out the best point per dollar at every position and then plug them in. And and hopefully it happens. You know, what I mean, you, you want to kind of um, take take some shots that way. And um, yeah, so the cut line was a lot of fun. Um, I think I, I got seventh in the cut line, seventh overall there. And I mean, like with one or two days left, I think I was in second place. I didn't have a chance for first. That guy was just, he, he had the nuts. It was over, but um, I was pretty close to second there. And that one for me was um, the, the differentiating factor. There was everybody spent their fab in midseason on Adoles Garcia. And I kind of saw that, you know, being a DFS guy and paying attention yeah. to this stuff. I saw that strikeout rate you know, just really starting to climb, you know, it was kind of steady there and he was playing really well and really started to climb. I was kind of off him in, in DFS at that point, um, you know, kind of no matter what, while he was in that hole. Um, and so everybody spent their fab for the second half on him. And I went for Luis Garcia. Um, I, I needed an extra arm there. And then a bunch of other like little pieces, Tyler Naquin, stuff like that, that pieces that, that I got kind of cheap, that kind of paid off. Um, I, I think just, you know, people spent too much on on Adolis Garcia, so that was a big help. And then um, a, another kind of point that I like to make about that was um, my my pitching. Um, I had you know a couple closers. I had like two closers. That actually, the guy that won the cut line didn't have a single closer at all. You don't really need a, a closer in one of those leagues. Um, you know, it's it's just points based or whatever. So however they go about it is is how they go about it. And you know, for me, I, I really hit um, like. I felt like I was, like, aiming for GPP upside, you know, with my draft. Robbie Ray, which nobody could have predicted, you know, a Cy Young. Like, I I certainly wasn't. But I was, you know, certainly I was taking a look at the list and, like, where he was going. And with strikeouts being weighed pretty heavy, heavily in in cut line, kind of like they are in in DFS, it was like, you know, Robbie Ray, even in those matchups where – um, you know, or, or the previous season when he, when he was struggling with his command, like his price would still be up there because he still had that upside to go out there and strike out 12 guys, even with bad command. Um, so, I mean, I was kind of looking at that. So I had Robbie Ray, I had Dylan C's, um, it was It was a whole lot of uh, just kind of looking for the upside, you know.
1: I love it. I love it. And it, it's kind of what you mentioned with Dusty's article, 12 verse 15. Like, I don't want to give everything away because people should go check it out. But the GPP mindset of a 12 versus a 15 and like the way I've compared it. And I had Dusty on the show like three or four weeks ago. Um, the, the, the idea of the GPP, if we talk about 12s, is that replacement value is so much easier to find, per se, on the waiver wire. So you can take those shots on your Adelberto Mondesis, on your younger players on your potentially injured guys that might stay healthy just, just but like in a 15 where replacement value stinks you need that kind of more stability of the situation so it's a really good article to open the eyes and he compares a couple like situations where you know this kind of risk i'd taken 12 with this player but not with this guy in a 15 and so on and so forth and it, it's a really good deal with all the content that's out there um when do you plan on doing some uh, fab leagues because i'm waiting until this stinking lockout's over
0: yeah, I mean it's 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 something to consider, and I haven't started yet. And mostly, I haven't started yet just because my kind of traditional timeline. um At this point, I'm still drafting DCs. At this point, last year I was still drafting DCs. The previous season, when of course you know COVID hit, and that ha- happened. Um, you know, this point in the season, still drafting DCs. I'm, I'm kind of still there, but we are about, you know, like when Rasball starts up, like that's kind of the time when the juices, you know, you got to do a little bit of research for Rasball, So that kind of gets things moving. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I'm a couple of weeks away from the point um, where I normally would be. Am I going to hold out and and wait on the lockout? Um, Gosh, I I really haven't thought about it yet. Um, I'm you know every every time i start to feel a little bit pessimistic i see a little yep. tweet that you know oh they're meeting tomorrow you know yep. and it's just in my nature to be a little bit uh, optimistic about that yep. kind of thing and you know I, I really i just i i don't see the um, you know this this lockout happening uh, a whole lot longer um you know in 1994 things were different right let's yeah, think true. about 1994 you know the guys that owned the baseball teams are the guys that owned the chicago tribune you know the guys that own you know the big um, uh, uh, newspapers, and so they were able to control the narrative a lot more back then. True. And and now you know I I know that the fantasy baseball Twitter is like a kind of a small segment of baseball fans, but it's it's kind of spreading out, and um you know the narrative is not that you know the the players are the greedy ones. Um, the narrative's been flipped with social media, with with the internet this time. And I think there's more pressure on the owners um, than, than people are, are admitting. I think there's a lot of pressure on the owners to get this thing happen. I mean, you know, look what everybody's tweeting about right now. You know, cancel Wimobi sure. until there's a deal. Yep. I mean, when you start hitting them in the pocketbooks, that's it when those guys decide to listen, you yep. know? So like I said, maybe that's just me because I'm kind of an yeah. optimistic guy, but... I think something happens pretty soon. If, if we have to give back two weeks of spring training very well could be, I mean, we're already at that point, basically. I pretty mean, much, the yeah. haven't left yet. Right. So, I yep. mean, we're at that point, but, you know, how much of the season do we lose? I don't think too much. I think something happens. Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm I'm still with it. Today was the first kind of pessimistic thoughts I had with just how bad the meeting went. Like it felt like a step backwards. But then quickly afterwards, like I read a few tweets and my I started thinking positively again about you know certain situations of how it could fire off quickly and things could change and. It's like they both want it, but they just the the part I get frustrated with is they just don't meet often enough. It just annoys me how they just take so much time in between meetings. But I know they're talking behind the scenes. I'm not clueless to this, but uh, it just the, the the appeal is not great. But I don't want to make this a a lockout podcast. But I'm with you. Um, my goal was like March first to start doing them. I kind of like I'm wavering. I won an OC ticket last year in a qualifier. Like I'm just kind of holding these things. Just kind of like. Like, I'll do the TGFBI, that's coming up, Raz Slam. we got some things like that, like you said. But before I go, like, full goal, full bore, I'm just like, eh, let's yeah. just wait a little bit longer. Because I'd like to see a couple signings or something. Like, give me an idea. Like, we're going to talk about some things with the Dodgers that could flip on its head with so many things. And if I'm going to put that kind of uh, scratch behind it, I'd like a little more, little more clarity. If I can get some, yeah. that would be great. Um, what are you doing, though? Because with this lockout, you know... Usually, the fun part about starting drafts and say, um, you know, November, and then as they kind of go through, you see the changing of ADP because news comes out, guys are at spring training. We see like some dude like Mikel Franco goes and hits three jacks in a game. Now he's like the most popular guy in the world, all these kind of things that go on. But right now, we're literally watching Ronald Acuna videos, and I that's know. like all we've got. So it's almost like it's the same, like player pull over and over again. How are you approaching these drafts with the? Lack of change, I guess, in the news. Are you trying to just in your head diversify, or how
0: are you going about that? I, I mean, I mean, I am just looking for um, the the scenarios where um, there's there's artificial hesitation um, by the by 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 the drafters. Um, you know, there's really you know, um, it feels like these guys that aren't signed they get pushed down a little bit, and and you know, that's not significant, but. You know, if Carlos Correa is going 105 overall instead of like 95 overall, like I I'm sorry, there's there's a gap there, there's an edge, there's money to be made there. Um, so I'm trying to take advantage of that. You know, Carlos Correa, I I don't care where he signs, he's gonna hit in the top of the lineup. Um, you know, like maybe the ballpark will be a little bit better, maybe it'll be a little bit worse. Uh it 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 shouldn't matter too much. And so um for for the most part i mean i'm looking for a little bit of an edge and just a little bit of that uncertainty i'm trying to leverage that I'm trying to use it in in my favor a, a little bit there um that's not something that's easy to do if you're only drafting one or two of these you know if you're only drafting three of them you know you have only got so many opportunities there um you know if you got 10 12 you know if you got 15 of those then you can kind of uh, take Later a chance around. on a couple of them in different couple of ways there so mostly that um there is we, we are kind of getting to the point now where the lockouts extending far enough and where, um, this is getting to a point where guys like, uh, you know, I've been afraid of Acuna. I I think a lot of people are afraid of Acuna, but as this kind of drags on, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if if the season starts uh, May 1st instead of April 1st or or whatever day, um, I mean, I, I think that's, that's good for Acuna, a little bit extra time, um, you know, for those wheels. And, um, yeah, I, I think it changes stuff like that. Um, And now that we're talking about it, I've got a little bit of an article idea, you know, going in my head, like those, those guys that are going to be due back for the second half of the season due to Tommy John surgery, all of a sudden, maybe they start to matter now if, if they're only, I mean, you got to look at it in proportions. If a guy comes back, you know, for August and September for a six month season, that's 33% of the season. If the season gets pushed back and they're more or less only missing half of the season. And and that's mm-hmm. a, a thing where, you know, you can kind of play that situation out in your head and see who makes a little bit more sense for the front half of the season um, and kind of pair guys up like that. I, I think there's an article uh, subject in there somewhere, but um, you yeah, know, yeah. So those are the things I'm kind of looking for at this point.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. And the guys, just, just innings pitched the concerns in general. Like not just the injury guys. Like we'll talk Julio Urias later, and I, I'm, I'm one of the few that's hesitant on him. There's who so locked in on him, and I'm willing to be wrong type situation. But the increase in, in innings just scares me still. But that changes for me at least in my mind a lot more, and that can happen for a lot of other potential uh, players to draft as well. I know my most recent in FPC fifty because I'm trying to. I, I, my goal is to do more OCs as your 12-team league, so I'm trying to switch back to the 50s mindset. I did a lot of DCs early, but I just want to get that 12-team mindset going again, even though it's a, a, D, a draft and hold. But um, this last one I've been doing with Yancy, who's in the YouTube chat right now, and he's been sniping oh. me left and right like a really How do I get person. that? How
0: can, how can I see his uh, It comment? should
1: be on the right side. I'm not sure how it looks on yours, but it should be like under comments or chat. Oh, yeah, private chat and comments. Oh, there you go, yeah um but he uh,
0: played pga dfs today yeah,
1: he's in More he's braver
0: in. braver than i am i haven't i tried a couple years ago man i don't know oh, i
1: do it all the time i love it but and that's will oh, clark know, not dallas clark it. It's will clark be nice um but i've started taking different guys in that draft that i haven't taken yet trying to see where my builds go like guys that are falling in adp and trying to move things around just to kind of see where things fit and that'll lead me to this next question here i've been drafting a ton in like the world seventh eighth maybe ninth overall in that part of the draft which I'm not a fan of to be honest but um where are you finding kind of your happy place in drafts like i prefer the front it sounds easy most years i don't care but this year i really want to get one of those guys early because things get real murky late especially in stolen bases in the back half of the draft to me at least so how are you approaching things
0: yeah absolutely i, I want top four one top yeah. four um most seasons I want like a couple of these, a couple of those, and a couple of those too. Uh, this year, I, I just – my KDS, it's it's weird. My KDS this whole time has just stayed 1 through 15. Same with me. I haven't it's touched just, it once. I haven't touched know, it in, once. In years past, I was like, you know, playing out scenarios and like looking at ADP and like kind of like, okay, I would actually rather 8th in, instead of 10th or whatever. It doesn't matter. I just I want to pick early, um, you know, especially like those top four – you know you know getting stolen bases i mean it's it's one of those things there's a little bit of stolen bases late in the draft there but you're going to pay the price in in other categories and and the price is big you know like drafting 30 stolen bases in the first round means you know 25 home runs come with it drafting 30 stolen bases in you know whatever the seventh round in, you know whatever miles straw you know in the 10th round or you know that that means four home runs that's a big hit you know like Comparing that to closers, you know, a, a, an early closer means eighty-five strikeouts, or, or your ratios are where they are for you know for eighty innings or, or whatever it is. The difference between getting you know twenty-five saves late, um, you know, in in the one-fifties or whatever, the the difference there is, you know, I don't you know fifteen strikeouts, you know, like sixty strikeouts instead of eighty, like uh, stolen bases. Man, I'm I'm willing to push those up way more than I'm willing to push up saves, you know, personally. So.
1: Hundred percent, because like we've talked about earlier, you can take shots on like potential saves guys later. You can't get potential stolen base guys very often because that's yeah. just a that's dead weight that might not even see your roster. At least some of those late back end guys, when you have a bunch of injuries, you can put them in there and hope they sneak out a win or some strikeouts some weeks or something. They'll give you a little something where those offensive guys might not even find the lineup. So it, it's it's a tricky deal. So I'm with you there. Uh, any final takeaways from this early draft season before we talk some Dodgers?
0: I am ready to talk about the Dodgers. All I am right. ready. You know, you know, I have a point you know, this is I got my FTN hat on so everybody can see it. You know, I am not wearing a Dodgers hat. I think every other podcast I've ever done, every or especially a video, I, I always wear a Dodgers hat. And yep. And today we're gonna talk about Dodgers and I'm gonna wear an FTN hat. Company <laughs> man. I love it. Um,
1: let's talk Dodgers. This is a fun one because I was telling Brock before the show is there's for such a really, really good team perennially. They always have some interesting fantasy questions. There's always stuff around them because either platoons, injuries, this, that, and the other. So it, it makes them very challenging to, to really dig in on as a whole. So let's start with one of the biggest conundrums right now. And that is one Cody Bellinger, who, you know, isn't too far removed from MVP type seasons. And um, now he's going around close to 100 right now in the month of February in drafts. We know we've seen him do two different swing changes in recent years. We've had the shoulder injury, like a back injury. There's been all kinds of injuries with Cody Bellinger. But now he's going on pick 100. I know there's some big dogs, Vlad and Jeff Erickson and Scott Genstead, like some really savvy NFBC players that are in on him. Could it be the price? Could it be both? Who knows? where do you stand on him? Because I know you've, you've dug in on this. We we've kind of DM'd about different players on with your research and everything. So I know you've done more than just, you know, your dodgerness to this, you've looked at Cody Bellinger. So what's your thoughts on him?
0: Yeah, I, I like Bellinger too. Uh, I'm, I'm in on him on that price. You know, that price is nice. Um, you know, I, um, we, we try to get these guys, um, you know, try to draft from a lot of these spots where guys are kind of on the way up, you know, and, Um, you know, it's kind of tough to have upside when you're a second round pick, you know, there's, there's not a lot of room, right. Um, So anytime a guy that we have, it's been proven to us that he can be a first round pick type of guy. uh, Anytime those guys are, you know, a hundred picks into the draft, there's, there's definitely room for a lot of upside there. Um, So when you weigh what that upside is and then, uh, you know, the other side, the risk, you know, for me, um, you know, Bellinger, Last year, you know, I dropped him a couple of times last year and, you know, in hindsight, that was a mistake, you know, coming right off that surgery shoulder, you know, anything like that, man, anything part of that, um, that, that powertrain um, I really want to stay away from for as far as power hitters go, you know, kind of moving forward. And I've seen this example enough times i should have known last year, um, you know, these guys, these labrum surgeries, um, you know, a lot of guys, you know, Matt Kemp, when he ran into that wall in Colorado years ago. You know the the power took you know two years to come back, um, and and even then he was never the same player ever again. Really, um, I mean it it came back and he was a good player for you know a couple of years there or whatever. But um, you know Troy Gloss is like one of the the only examples where a guy had that labrum surgery and and the power really came all the way back. I mean I think he still hit over forty home runs after his labrum surgery, but it took two years. Uh, this is you know, Michael Brantley is like a completely different example that kind of tells us the same thing. You know, Michael Brantley hit like, I mean, he had almost no power there for, for those, you know, two years or or whatever after the labrum surgery. And I don't think Bellinger's labrum surgery was as extreme as some of those other guys there. But, um, you know, the, the point is that, you know, that first year back, there's, there's, there's different degrees of, of health. Um, It isn't just kind of, you're either on the DL or you're hundred percent. there's there's something in between there. And so I, I think what we saw with Bellinger is um, the shoulder was healthy to the point where he was free to you know, obviously be on the field and do everything with it. It doesn't mean that it worked at a hundred percent. And so we're just another year removed from that. I think if if he ends up you know somewhere in between what he did uh, in the second half half of last season, in that MVP season, if you kind of take those two levels and put it somewhere in the in the middle, I, I think that's a couple notches above um the the price of a, a number one hundred pick. So uh, I'm I'm kind of there on Bellinger. I, I expect at the very least I expect him um, to return solid value, but there's definitely plenty of upside in there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You look like the bad X. They have him for a 242 average. And, you know, besides 2020 and, and 2021, where the average is down, he's usually 260 or better. So that could be up for debate. But, you know, 26 homers, nine stolen bases. So definitely uh, a market improvement on the last few years. So almost more like his 2018 type season is what they kind of got going. So similar to what you said, kind of in between the MVP year and that year, which is interesting. Like, I, that's where I'm kind of close to liking him. Um Do you think that the swing changes were because of the injuries? Because that's my train of thought, where some people thought he was just trying to tweak things. I think he was trying to – like we we talk about Tatis all the time because he's got the shoulder issues and stuff, and he keeps playing through it. But he's adjusted his swing every time make sure he tries to limit the ferocity basically to it. Do you think Bellinger was doing some kind of swing tweaks to avoid further injury potentially?
0: Um, I mean, that's a really good question. I hadn't really considered it, but my initial reaction is that if anything, Tatis is, um, you know, I don't think Bellinger is the same level athlete as Tatis, but that's it's probably kind of close because, you know, Bellinger is, I mean, up there in sprint speed. He's still a big guy, but he runs like hell. Um, yeah. Obviously plenty of power and stuff like that. He's not exactly Tatis, but he is kind of up there and, and Tatis can change his swing and like, what did he do? The next day he hit a ball like 460 feet in the second ridiculous. deck out there in Pecco. You know, <laughs> yeah. these these guys that are, you know, like if, uh, you know, Eric Thames is is like messing with his swing, uh, he doesn't have a lot of margin for error, you know. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I would expect, regardless of why Bellinger was changing that that swing, you know, and, and another element to that too is, I don't think he's changing the swing because of the injury. Because It's not like the swing caused the injury, like, you know, dicking around with his buddy caused the injury. So, I, one way or another, though, I I expect a a premium athlete like Bellinger um, to be able to make it work just the way that Tatis was able to come back and and make it work in the second half of last year.
1: It's definitely worth a good bounce back, like you said, because even if he doesn't get back to MVP form, he's pick 100 now, which becomes a lot more sustainable. And like you mentioned with the labrum injuries, we've seen it take at least one, like you said, sometimes two years for so many guys. So this could be like you're buying in before the breakout happens and next year he's back to like a second-round pick. So that's the whole idea, Uh, especially 12 teams it makes more – like just what we talked about earlier, the 12 versus maybe the 15 if you're worried, whatever, but 12 makes sense. Um, Buy the dip. Yep, exactly. Buy the dip. Now, you know, the question everybody says going right next to him is Christian Yellick. You prefer Bellinger over Yellick?
0: Wait with me I was reading, Nancy leaves his KDS to blind chance and – let so, the universe have its way with me. I, that's been, that's been me this year. You know It's that's what I did this year with my KDS. And you know what I did the first three drafts that I did this year was all from the eight spot every time. What are the odds on that? Sorry. Yep.
1: Definitely. Um, another guy on the Dodgers though. And we were DMing about him a few weeks back. We were both writing DC articles and everything. And similar to Bellinger, he's got a shoulder issue. And we were all over Edwin Rios last year because we're like, okay, or the DH year at least, you know, the power's there. He's going to play this and that. Well, he missed most of last year due to his injury, had surgery, should be ready to go come opening day. But, again, it's that shoulder concern, and this was the guy we wanted for his power. Um, Some guys are still kind of in on him. I've heard some shows that still like him, but I'm a lot more skeptical after talking to you. He's going to almost pick 500 in DCs. What's your thoughts on Edwin Rios?
0: Yeah, um, he's he's kind of, you know, this is his first year back from that shoulder surgery. This is the thought that I wish I had had last year with Bellinger. Um, you know, I, I made that mistake last year. I'm not going to make it this year. Um, it's too bad because otherwise I think this is a perfect scenario for Rios, um, you know, with, with the DH coming to, to the National League. Um, you know, if there was not a uh, – I wish there was not a shoulder injury last year but he also somehow didn't really play a lot last year because then he'd be a perfect sneaky pick right now. Um, But with that injury, you know, I had um, surgery a couple years ago and um, you know, the, this is what the doctor told me. And it seems to kind of, you know, it might be a little confirmation bias, but it really seems to go along with a lot of these surgeries that we see from these big leaguers. You know, the doctor says it takes the body a full year to fully recover, you know, an entire year, whatever reason that is, it takes a whole year, you know, maybe four months from now, you don't have, you know, walking boot or, or whatever it is, you know, you're able to go about your life or whatever, but it, things, you know, continue to improve, you know, for as long as a year, if not more. And so for that, I just, um, you know, I, for, for what it's worth, pick 500. It's not a lot of cost, you know, yep. it's a pretty cheap price. Um, but, but for me, there's just I'm going to find some other darts to throw.
1: So they like when you get to that point in the draft, if you're just looking for power, you know, probably a little before him, you got Bobby Bradley, you got guys like Seth Beer, you got these guys that you know are going to play. One.
0: Seth Beer is another one that had shoulder surgery. He's yeah, another so that, one that initially I was all excited about, and I saw yeah. that and it was like,
1: Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good call there because he, he screams DH. If anybody yep. screams DH, it's Seth Beer. But uh, the shoulder surgery, because that dude crushes, that's what he's there to do, hit bombs. So keep that stuff in mind. It's more to it than just, you know, He's hurt. Um, you know, uh, we,
0: we give, uh, we give Dave, um, we, we give Dave over. a lot of crap on, on Twitter. Um, I mean, I, I certainly do. It's a good time and everything like that. We really do. And I, but I want to tip my uh, cap to him a little bit there. Um, he's always been super conservative with injuries and I'm never going to be that conservative with, with injuries, yeah. but he, it, it, you know, watching him kind of go along and tweet about his process here and there, as far as that goes, um has kind of um it's kind of made me realize that i didn't take that into consideration nearly as much as i probably should have in the past
1: i think most um not i I wouldn't say i think more casual to early on in their career players definitely don't that's 100 100 but the more we get into it the more i'm I'm with you it's definitely something that needs to be paid way more attention to especially since we have the information that we used to not have like pay attention to this kind of stuff so i'm with you there as well Another Dodger that's quite the conundrum is Chris Taylor coming off a monster, monster season, playing 148 games, second most of his career, 20 homers, stole 13 bags. The walk rate was over 10%, you know, hit 254, just did it all. Did it all for the Dodgers. You know, Super utility guy, but found a regular playing time out there due to injuries and whatnot. Well, this year, you know, he's going on to pick like 130, and he's got a ton of uh, flexibility, which is great. They re-signed him, so like, they wanted to play uh, there's, you know, Seager's out of town. There's going to be moving pieces. Are you in on Chris Taylor at this type of ADP? Are you hesitant on him? Because there's a lot to like, but there's also like part of me that goes, is this really doable from a guy that, you know, he's done it when he's been able to play, but being able to play has been the question.
0: Yeah. I, you know, in my past, in, in, in my experience, guys that strike out 27, 20% of the time, uh, tend not to age well. Um, Taylor for me, you know, he's going to be like 32 this year. 32, something like that, 31 and a half, 31 and a half, 32. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the age where we, where, where things, at least if they haven't already started to go downhill, it probably will soon. And, um, you know, guys that don't strike out a lot, you know, the, the Dodgers went out of their way to extend Mookie Betts. Um, I think Mookie Betts is one of those kinds of players that really age as well. And, um, you know, I already thought that. And then when a, a, a pretty sharp franchise like the Dodgers went out of their way to give that, you know, 10, 12 year contract to one of those guys that, that kind of tipped my hand or tipped their hand to me that like, I think that that was something that they thought was really important. And, you know, Chris Taylor is not Mookie Betts. I mean, obviously or whatever, but I'm, I'm kind of at this point, I'm assuming he's pretty well topped out. I don't think there's any room for improvement from, you know, what what he did last year, you know, last year was, um, you know, something else. Um, I am interested in um, drafting Chris Taylor in DCs, just because being able to move around both middle infield spots, being able to move to the outfield, um, that's that's pretty. There's pretty big value in that in in DCs, um, just because you're locked in with your roster for the rest of the year, and you know being able to take a, a legitimate, you know, a guy that's going to get 500 plate appearances, and has some actual tools, being able to move them around three different spots there. It's it's worth a lot, um, you know. Draft champions, sure, but when we start moving on to these uh, OCs and, and stuff like that with Fab, when you know, when you know, if your shortstop goes down, you can get somebody off the wire or whatever. Um, you know, like you were mentioning earlier, uh, the replacement level is definitely different. And so, in in those kinds of leagues, I think one thirty. I mean, I'm I'm kind of apprehensive at one thirty in a DC, and that's with adding in the value of the you know, being a, a Swiss Army knife type of guy on your team. But, yeah, I, I think when we get to OCs, I'm I'm not going there.
1: Yeah, I'm very similar to you. Like I have a couple shares of them in these uh, draft and hold formats, 100% for the flexibility. That's what it is because it's so frustrating when your team's doing so well and then you just have so many injuries and you can't even – and then you just start falling and they're standing so fast. Um, like some people overdo the flexibility needs, but it's important in the draft and holds. There's no questioning that. Now, like you said, the OCs – different animal i probably can't pay 130 at that point that's a different animal but uh we'll see uh he's darn good it's just I, I find it hard to believe that that continues on uh before we continue on with the next player yancey has a funny comment dave was right is something i never thought anybody would say <laughs> uh, that was Yancey. Word, yeah, Credit not word, me. Too. Dave McDonald, I did not say that. That was Yancey, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Um, Next on the docket, though, you kind of mentioned him in the last segment there. Mookie Betts. This is a very fun one because, you know, he was banged up a lot last year. Well-documented. Only 122 games. He's been a perennial. Usually a good 145 to 150-plus each and every year, barring the random 2018. Still had 23 homers. Still sold 10 bags. Uh, You know, going to be at the top of that order, which is a great order to be at top of. He's going at an ADP around 15, 16 right now, which is lower than usual for Mookie Betts. So, you know, there's guys like Kyle Tucker going before him. Lou Bob has jumped over him now. There's an interesting realm there. Are you uh, in or out on a guy like Mookie Betts this year?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm down with Mookie. I really am. Um, I I think we're getting a little bit of a discount for, um, you know, a, a hip injury from last year. I mean, it makes complete sense, right? Hip injury. Um, he was a little bit slowed, so he ran a little bit less. Um, you know, and you run a little bit less, the batting average of balls in play is going to come down a little bit. That's you know a domino effect to uh, to to a certain degree there. So, I I'd be surprised if he isn't completely healthy and, and back on the field this year and ready to go. And if he is, um, I mean, it's not he's not old. I don't really have any reason to believe that you know twenty twenty one is going to carry over into twenty twenty two. Um, so I'm, I'm fine with him at that price. Um, I, I really, I, I think it's appropriate. I think he should be going behind Kyle Tucker. Um, Bryce Harper. I, I don't really know. I, I think um, out of the, I know Harper did steal Harper stole 15 last year. Right. I think give or, or take like 14 right or there. 15, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I think Mookie is still a way better bet to steal 20 bags next year than, than Bryce Harper is, Um, you know, but I, I can see, you know, there's a little bit more certainty with it feels like with Harper there. So I can see where those guys, you know, it's kind of tough. You know, we're parsing through pick 13, pick 17. You know, we're a $23 player or $24 and 20 cents player. Yeah. It's pretty close. It, it, it's fine where he's going. I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, if he's there at like 15, if if I get the wheel and he's there, uh, I'm I'm down to take Mookie there. I'm I'm fine with it. I think he's a pretty safe bet to return value on that pick. So I, I like Mookie. Yeah. I, I really want to tell a story about Mookie when, when Mookie was still in Boston um, and Joe Kelly, you know, Joe Kelly pitched for Boston. Mm-hmm. And then after that world series, he came over to the Dodgers and in spring training, they were all kind of around and Joe Kelly was in the clubhouse in spring training with Dave Roberts. Like the whole team was around and and Joe Kelly's son was in there. And uh, you know, so Dave Roberts was asking him questions and he's kind of holding court, right? Everybody's, you know, paying attention and watching. And um and he asked uh he he asked Joe Kelly's son who his favorite team was, and his response was, um, Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next year Mookie Betts shows up and he's on the Dodgers there. So, oh, so coll- no collusion. for that collision. I love that story. There we go.
1: That's a good story. <laughs> Mookie's I got, I've told so many people, I've probably told you and others that it really stinks. Like the Giants Dodgers rivalry is great. It's hard for me to hate a lot of the Dodgers now. Like you have yeah. Betts, you have Bueller, like even Bell Kershaw, like one of the best pitchers ever. It's 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 not like the old days where it's like you could legit there was a rivalry. Like I didn't like this guy and stuff. I still don't like the Dodgers. I want the Giants to win, but it's like I don't mind these guys. Like it's hard not to like Mookie Betts. It's really hard not to like the guy. So um it, it makes it interesting for sure. Um with Mookie, it's fun though, because like you mentioned, if he comes back healthy, um, we're talking a guy at twenty twenty upside. Hits for a good average. And near the top of that order with him and Trey, like you got a hundred run upside there, which like it's one of the categories we don't talk about a lot. I think we kind of take runs for granted. But like we've seen bets in like years with the Red Sox get like what 120 or something. And that just had, that,
0: he had 140 one yeah, year. And that just me. that just helps you he win the world series.
1: That just helps you so so much. Like it's so like not talked about because we focus on power and speed and everything. But runs scored that he can give you atop that order is uh, is tremendous. So it's interesting because you mentioned Kyle Tucker, like Robert, um, uh, Harper. It's an interesting realm there with bets. Like in first pitch Arizona, we did a DC and I had the seventh pick and I took bets ahead of all those guys because right off of the season, I was all in and it faced a lot of ridicule because I passed on, you know, those young guys. And I've taken harp or I've taken uh, Tucker and Robert since then at different spots in the draft. But like Betts is Betts, man. Like it's just one of those deals that if he's healthy, he's one, of, still one of the best players in baseball. He's not that old, like you said. So, we'll yeah, see.
0: Mookie Betts scored 135 runs for the World Champion 2019 Boston Red Sox yeah. season. previous, that 2018 129 runs. You know, and he he did that. You know, 390 on base percentage in 2019. Um, I mean, he's projected. At a 380 on-base percentage, I mean okay. he's he's right there with the on-base. And you know that that 2019 Boston team had a had a good offense, but I mean it's not like this Dodgers offense is bad. They have a top top three, top five offense as well. Um, you know, uh, getting back up there 120 runs is well within the the range of outcomes, I think. And um, you know, you get over 200 counting stats, you know, from the the 17 spot. I mean, that's that's a good way to do it.
1: Most definitely. Let's go to Gavin Lux, big-time prospect. Everybody's been waiting for him to break out. Guys like James Anderson and very smart prospect guys have loved Lux for a long time. He's got seven homers, four stolen bases last year in in 102 games. So he kind of got his best run so far. I guess the result's probably less than desired, but still we'll see. He should have free reign. Seeger's out of town. They're going to have a spot for him, basing as long as things don't go wrong. And you're getting them at an ADP of around 228 right now, with second base shortstop eligibility. Are you in on Gavin Lux? Because I've heard a lot of mixed reviews on him.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is the year. You know, last year I was out, and what I'm like scrambling to quickly pull up for us, and it's not in my recent CSV list, so I'm probably not going to get to it. I wonder what his ADP was last year. I feel like his ADP last year was even, was he like inside to 200 last year? I, uh, I might've
1: been, people were all in on him. That's for he sure. He was
0: higher last year than he was this year. And it's yeah. like, it's crazy. This is the year to get him, you know, if, if you believe in the talent and, you know, so that that's kind of, um, you know, my own talent evaluation. Like I try not to rely on that because I'm not a scout. I'm, I'm a fantasy baseball player. Um, and so what I do rely on is like uh, other, other people and, You know, the the Dodgers are confident in him. I think they're going to give him that job. And, um, I mean, he's a little bit of a Swiss Army tool in his own right. He can play second base. And, you know, I know it didn't go great putting him in center field for that small period of time that they did last year, but – I I have a feeling in the offseason he's working on it a little bit more and and so that'll kind of be there in his back pocket. Um I, I think he's a big benefactor of of the DH, you know. I think Lux is gonna be a guy that they're gonna want in there, you know, he's he's young, he's what, 26, 27? They're gonna want him out there every day, you know. Um I, I know that it's gonna be, you know, AJ Pollock's gonna be out there DH'ing a lot, Justin Turner's gonna get a decent amount of shots in in uh, in the DH spot there. You know, I, I looked back at 2020 and looked at um, where, you know, who was the DH for the Dodgers most of the time, and that was kind of the underlying point was, you know, Pollock I think was the DH most often, um, but it was like basically he had like 12 starts as a DH, and like Justin Turner and Max Muncie had like 10 or 11 or something like that. That they they just kind of basically evenly spread it between those guys, and you know, and and I think it had a big impact on Pollock. You know, he was kind of healthy for all of the 2020 season, played 55 out of the 60 games. Um, So I I think he's a guy that really benefits from that. And, you know, from those guys benefiting from a DH, I I think it's a kind of a trickle down kind of uh, an effect there. And I think it really kind of, you know, guarantees everyday playing time for Gavin Lux. And, you know, Gavin Lux, it's not like um, he's just some guy that like Dodger fans really like or anything like that. He was literally the number one prospect in all of baseball just like two years ago. Um, you know, the amount of those guys that, you know, really don't ever come through, like even, you know, I always think like Colby Rasmus, like, man, the, the prospect world was lit on fire by by Colby Rasmus. And he was never like one of the best players in the game, but he was still a pretty decent player. He's still pretty he good. very serviceable. Yeah, played some defense, hit some home runs or whatever. So, you know, uh, those guys completely flaming out, Um, you know, especially over the last like 10 years when when the scouting and, and the analytics, everything's so good. Um, For for all of that to completely miss on a guy feels like it would just be an unheard of scenario. And uh, if you put that together with every day at bats in in the Dodgers lineup, um, you know, I kind of like Lux there. And, um, you know, and and I like A.J. Pollock a lot. I think, you know, A.J. Pollock's pretty undervalued. Um, I I just did a piece for FTN. Oh, my God, it feels like weeks ago. It was like two (laughs) days ago. Man, I've been working on so much lately um AJ Pollock I was kind of comparing him to Dylan Carlson I really want to point out that this is not an indictment of Carlson uh I think Carlson's a really good player and stuff like that but kind of taking a look at it it's like we're kind of hoping you know Carlson could be what, what Pollock um you know just kind of does year in and year out even with his limited amount of plate appearances that he usually gets but um you know I, I think the DH I think uh it, it helps keep Pollock healthy and if uh, maybe he can play 130 games this year, I think Pollock's going to be a steal where he's been drafted. So, uh, yeah, Gavin Lux and uh, A.J. Pollock, a couple guys that um,
1: that that I'm interested in. I love the Pollock call. I've been in on him, too. And I like one thing you mentioned there with the ADP debates, like our comparisons that a lot of us do. Um, a lot of the time it's not an indictment on the guy against him. It's just to show you that there's a value or something elsewhere. Type, you yeah. know, it's, it's nothing Two rounds against- better for Pollock. Yeah, and that's, that's the biggest point of finding those things is finding those pockets of value. Uh, let's talk about a couple of pitchers here for, for the Dodgers real quick. Uh, Julio Urias kind of hinted at him earlier. Uh, massive boost in innings last year. Tons of wins. Um, super high ADP now. Are you in on Julio Urias with uh, that massive increase in work? I'm terrified. I am terrified. Even Max Scherzer came out and said the veterans I wouldn't worry about, it's the young players that took the inning spikes last year that I'd be concerned with. Max Scherzer said that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody would know, it's yeah. Andy when that when, when that quote came out on Twitter, yeah, probably Max Scherzer, I'd probably go with that. I kind of haven't found myself faced with that with that scenario yet. Um, just because if it's the first like three rounds. You know, I want 20 homers and 20 steals or or at least a shot at it, you know, if Luis Robert can um, stay healthy, you know, like something like that. I, I just haven't been there. Um, I am going to this could end up being like a grave mistake. Don't get me wrong, but I'm probably going to end up with like a vast majority of my drafts. Like my SP one in a lot of these is going to be like Jose Barrios. I mean, Joe Musgrove like, if I can skip over, um, you know, drafting, like, an ace, like, Urias, Bueller, whoever, um, if if I can skip over those guys for, like, you know, 25 homers and 20 steals from Ozzy Albies, and then, like, later on, instead of, like, uh, you know, like, you, you take Berrios, but, like, I'll take Berrios and Musgrove, like, I'll have, instead of having, like, paying for an ace, I'm gonna have, like, you know, two like top tier number two starters or or something like that. I have a whole lot of um, uh, drafts like that so far. And, and I just, I don't want to get off that build. I I like that build so much. Um, So I really haven't been, been faced with that. So it's like, like you said, it is a big step up in innings, um, but you know, he's kind of at that age now. I mean, sure. we've been talking about him for 10 years, it seems like. Um, <laughs> and that might not be um, hyperbolic. It really has been 10 years, even though he's still only going to be 26 years old. I, I kind of like he has that build that he could go out there and, and be a workhorse. He could be yeah. one of those guys. Bueller would kind of scare me a little bit, except for, you know, Bueller's you know, he's thrown 200 innings before. Oh man, that is a tough call. I mean, I'm, I'm just glad I'm not like drafting him in third round. I don't have to yeah. worry about it.
1: Yeah. I haven't I don't have shares of either one. I don't, I'm a big Bueller fan, big Bueller fan. I'm just kind of worried on both of them. It could be totally wrong. Um, I also like your idea. You're waiting until like round five or six to start taking pitching. I used to be a pocket aces or an early guy. I have not been that much so far this draft season like you. Um, so I'm kind of in a similar boat. I might go a slightly earlier than you, but yeah, uh, we're we're pretty close in that bill. I like getting those bats early. There's some really good bats early. So I'm hundred percent with you. Um, rest of the Dodgers rotations, uh, kind of a, a question mark. Uh um, kind of David Price. You got a lot of questions. Definitely a spot we could see approached when the lockout's over. We can we can pretty much lock into that. Any thoughts on what's going on there for now?
0: Um, they're they're not done. The rotation's <laughs> not done. I mean, we 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 know that you don't spend, you know, $38 million on, on, on Mookie bets. You know, you don't, you know go out there and Justin Turner's like final season as a Dodger or, or whatever, like a core like this with, with Andrew Heaney, with whatever's left of Andrew. I think Heaney, they could kind of um like teach him some, some rich Hill stuff. Maybe Heaney kind of works out or whatever, um, but they're not going to like rely on him as the SP for David price. Um is only there because it allowed them to trade for Mookie bets. Um, you know, the, the fact, um, you know, when we were in the divisions or not the division series, the, um, the league championship series against the Braves and Joe Kelly got hurt, um, you know, and everybody thought like, Oh yeah, sure. He's not really hurt. They just really need a starting pitcher. You know, so Joe, Joe Kelly's faking having an injury. So he, he's off the, uh, off the roster so that they can add a starting pitcher, and they did. They added David Price, and they still didn't use him. They still used a bunch of worn-out bullpen arms. I mean, that tells you a lot of what they think about David Price. So I I know that Roster Resource uh, has David Price listed as the SP5 for the Dodgers there, but I would be absolutely shocked if the season, if April 1st, whatever that date is, if David Price is still there. So I haven't drafted David Price yet. Um, you know, you you mentioned Tony Gonsolin and I've seen you mention Tony Gonsolin on Twitter before. And, you know, Gonsolin is um, he's a he's a tough cookie to crack because uh, the skills are there. he the, the talent's there. He is really good. He has great stuff. Um, but like, is he ever going to be more than like a, a four inning guy? I mean, he's yeah, just the, hell, really the health hasn't it. been there.
1: That's the problem.
0: He just really hasn't done it. And I can see yeah. the Dodgers doing something like really interesting. I could see um, the Dodgers, you know, this is has nothing to really to, to do with the SP4, SP5 spot in their rotation. I could see the Dodgers bringing back Kershaw and trying to limit his innings by having him and Gonsolin like being like a permanent, like a super piggyback. Um I think if you just stick with trying to get three innings out of Gonsolin and maybe if you bring back Kershaw and try to get three and four innings out of Kershaw, you put those guys together, you could end up with what's like borderline ace numbers for seven innings every fifth day. It costs you a roster spot, but I, I just, the way that they've handled Gonsolin before and just never really pushed them to even see what happens after the fifth inning kind of, kind of tells me that they just, that they think that that next time through is just not going to happen. So um, it, it doesn't really just seem like a volume thing to me. So I could see them getting kind of creative, you know, maybe they trade for one of those guys from Cincinnati, one of those starters from Cincinnati, and then they bring back Kershaw to be a piggyback guy. And if, if you're at that point, then you've got, you know, Mitchell White's not a bad pitcher, like totally decent option there. um You know, maybe you have him on, uh, uh, Andre Jackson came up and made a cup, um you know, had a cup of tea at the big league level last year. You know, maybe you just kind of for the S for the, the fifth spot in the rotation, figure it out with all those other options there. So I think Gonsolin's probably a part of it. I, I just, I highly doubt we're getting 150 innings out of him.
1: That makes sense. Uh, what about the bullpen? Kenley Jansen's a free agent. Some people think he's coming back. I've always thought he he should finish as a Dodger, but you never know. Money's money. Uh, Trinan looks to be a popular talk. You got Gratterall. You got a lot of options. So what are you doing? Because Trinan's getting drafted like he's a closer right now.
0: Yeah, I haven't drafted him yet. I, I mean, either. I, you know, Trinan's obviously one of the more talented uh, bullpen arms in baseball, but I can't really give him that job. Um, you know, uh, it was th- four years ago, three years ago, three years ago when Kinley was a free agent then. And um, this current ownership and, and brain trust that is there and in, installed for the Dodgers right now is the same one that was there a couple years ago. And I totally thought that that Dodgers team was going to be like, we don't need to sign a, a, a big dollar closer. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a whole lot of money for a little bit of innings. Um, the Dodgers had had such good success. There was Brandon Morrow. Um, just kind of these reclamation projects, these guys that they can you know bring in there and catch fire for a year. They built uh, like bullpens that way for a couple of years in a row. And I thought for sure there's no way that they're going to spend twenty million dollars on on a on a, a proven closer. Um, and you know what they did? They they did just that. Um, they brought back Kenley. They gave him the money. They gave him the I think four years, sixty four million, whatever it ended up being. Um, and so that alone um, kind of proved to me that. You know, they, they like to build out that bullpen with some reclamation projects, some some tweaks that they can, um, you know, kind of make to, to some guys to kind of get the most out of them or, or whatever. Um, I, I think that they will continue to do that with the bullpen, but I think they are going to um, recognize the, the value in, you know, kind of having like just one one more known quantity back there. And I'm really starting to, to um, think that they bring Kenley back. Um, yeah. You know, Kenley had a good year last year of course and and his year started out bad and kind of yeah, improved most of the year there um he he started out he was throwing real hard but had no command and was walking a ton of guys and, and it was kind of rocky there and he adjusted somewhere in the middle of the season he adjusted and, and it was a little bit rocky and then by the end of the year um his his like 30 day um uh expected weighted on base average um, for like the month of September, I think was the best he had ever had in, in a month in his career. I mean, I, I swear um his numbers were, were insane in September last year. So um I, I think the Dodgers might see that. They might like those results, whatever kind of tweaks that he made throughout last season and try to um you know bet on him being able to continue that maybe a year or two more. That's kind of been where my my
1: head's been the whole time. I, I had a lot it's, of Kinley Ross either that year. or Miami. <laughs> Going back yeah, to dogmatically no, makes a lot of sense as well. One of those two landing spots makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm just gonna skip the, the the fun part here. Most of you and I are both fading Max Muncy for now, so that's just the way things are gonna go. And the reason I'm just gonna jump to the, the conclusions here is we don't know anything, as you said. Um, but what we do want to talk about, uh, before some listener questions here, is three players that we are both gonna have zero exposure, basically fading in drafts this season. And it's kind of a fun thing because people talk about their guys and they're going to do this and that. But um, there's three guys that we're for sure not going to have any shares of. So, Brock, who is the first player you're having zero shares of?
0: (laughs) You're going to hate me, but um, I'm I'm not kidding. You know, I filled out um, the outline earlier, and my pick um, here was uh, Bobby Witt. Uh, No way that I'm going to draft Bobby Witt. And I'm not kidding you if – Three hours later, I'm in a draft where I'm trying to check right now. Um, <laughs> he's fallen a bunch in this draft, and you know I'm trying to say that I'm not going to have any exposure to Bobby Witt, but if he drafts if he falls this far, I might have to have some. So we'll we'll, we'll see what happens in that draft. But yeah, my my pick was Bobby Witt. Um, I kind of you know started to take a look around, and like um, we've seen. The bottom end of the range of outcomes with the with the with the mega prospects last year is an obvious example. Jared Kelnick, can't miss prospect, and the team was trying to throw all kinds of money at him before he even made an appearance at the major league level and everything like that, trying to lock him down and everything. Um, and and Kelnick obviously came up and struggled quite a bit. Um, and it, it doesn't matter how blue chip of a prospect you are. That's definitely a big part of it. There's, there's a definite possibility there. Um, and, you know, Wit. Um, I mean, I, I think he's about the same level of prospect, you know, number one, you know, top prospect type of guy in, in all of baseball. Um, and the, the chances that he struggle are, are legit. There's a decent chance that he does. Now, everybody knows that. I don't want to talk too much about that. The other side of that, like, it goes well for him. think about if it if it goes well for Witt if if everything kind of comes together there like the the upside like maybe not like 99th percentile or whatever but he has a good season what does that good season look like like how much better is it than Carlos Correa we 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 pretty much know what we're going to get with Correa he's going to hit you know what are 22 24 home runs you know decent amount of batting uh batting average and you know, the, the counting stats are going to be there wherever he signs. And unless it's like a, a mega offense like Houston, most of the other teams that he's going to sign with, he's probably like hitting second, right? If counting stats are probably going to improve for, for Correa there. Um, I mean, how much – if everything goes right for Witt, I mean, I know that there's going to be probably another – you know, Correa doesn't steal. There's probably going to be Man, another steals 12 is the big thing. steals yeah. in there. Um, but, like, otherwise, like, everything has to go right for him to be – a little bit better in Correa, and Cray is available 10 picks later. Um, you know, Witt, I just – I'm excited to see him play. It's going to be fun, you know, kind of like with Wander last year. Excited to see him play. Um, but I, I'm not going to invest my draft capital there.
1: Yep, I have no Bobby Witt desires either. I'm with you. I hope he's fun. I hope he's fun to watch. I'm with you. Uh, my first one, people probably are going to hate this one, but I have zero shares so far, and it's just – more price point for me because I expect the regression monster to come and show up. And I still think Cedric Mullins is going to be very good, but Mm -hmm. I have not taken him. He's falling in drafts. Now, similar you said about wit where it's getting a little more enticing. Like there was a point where he was early second round. Now he's going almost early third round. So he's starting to become more in the conversation, but there's a reason I have zero share so far. I was not paying early second round price for Mullins. Yeah. He went 30, 30 last year. I think he's more 20, 20, maybe 25 steals type guy the average is going to decline um you know runs are going to maybe dry up if, if baltimore continues to do baltimore things there, he he ran perfect last year he ran perfect i'm I'm a guy that doesn't like to pay for uh, last year's great season that's kind of what you're doing a bit in these drafts so i know a lot of people are probably like oh what are you talking about blah 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 blah, blah. i i won't be having any said mullins where he's going in drafts i'll be having maybe if i do take a picture early i'll go there if i take a closer early i'll take a closer there If not, I'm taking, you know, a Manny Machado or I'm taking something along those lines to to help me out in a different spot. So for me, it's no said Mullins.
0: Second round, third round, Cedric Mullins, any of those, none of it counts as buying the dip. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) That's the opposite of buying the dip. Exactly. So who's your
1: second guy? Because I actually agree with this one as well.
0: You know, I want to change. I want to change it. I put Camellia, um uh you know san francisco giants presumptive closer i wanted to put him i just kind of i want to change it to say all closers i just that's my answer i just i'm fading all closers i'm just a little frustrated with the closer thing um yeah uh so devall uh we saw how electric he was i mean he he was nasty against the dodgers there in that final stretch in september and uh um i mean super talented guy there um, but that walk rate, I can't remember who I was talking about when I did. But, like, last year I was talking about a guy in the preseason. Um, actually, no, it was Karinchak. It was uh, James Karinchak from the Cleveland Indians. And it was, like, basically, like, guys with, like, 13% walk rates that 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 thrive and, and, and can actually survive at the major league level. The list is, like, Aroldis Chapman. And then uh, who was the other guy that uh, tons of walks? Kimbrel? Oh, I can't remember who it was. You know, the, the list was like, there's basically like two relievers that were able to, you know, sustain success over a long period of time um, with a high walk rate. So I, I think that's a little bit um, worrisome for Duvall. Obviously, he's like a young fireballer and um, more than enough time for him to kind of write that ship or whatever. But where he's being drafted, it, it kind of feels like he's being drafted where like we like if things go right, this is where he ends up. Um, and I I think that's a little bit crazy. I I don't really want to bet on like best case scenario. Um, you know, that's uh I I think that's ignoring a lot. And you know what else it's ignoring is uh the the same thing as last year, you know, Jake McGee. I mean, he Jake McGee was uh, you know, um one one of the better relievers in baseball last year. He he really was. He had you know a couple blown saves there or whatever, kind of lost the job and kind of got it back at different points or whatever last year. Um, I mean, but overall he pitched really well. Um, and then, and you got Rogers there. Um, there's just, there's too many good options. There's too many question marks there for like a a number 40 or a 140, 160 pick, you know, in, in, in my opinion.
1: Perfect. I completely agree. And I'm, I don't want to be rude, but I just got a text message. My wife's getting called back into work at the hospital. So I got about five minutes before we got to wrap up because my daughter just got home. So we're going to go quick through these speed round. Um, my second one, and people will hate this as well, is Wander Franco. I have zero shares of Wander Franco. He doesn't, steal, doesn't steal bases. Like you like Correa, you mentioned him. Correa will be better. Um, I'll take my chances with, um, you know, Jorge Polanco, Jazz Chisholm, Dansby Swanson, Willie Adamas. Give me all those guys over Wander Franco. So I'll pass on Wander Franco.
0: Who's your number yeah. three? I'm totally with you on Franco there. And uh, my number three Feels like a little bit of a uh, cheating, a little bit there. But Clayton Kershaw, I just the 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 downside is he throws zero innings for you. The um, upside for Kershaw is, is probably 110 innings. You know, 110. We're, we're hoping for 110. Um, you know, and and especially the chances um, that those 110 innings come in Texas, where like you know the, it's a bad bullpen. The offense isn't the same as with the Dodgers there. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a better ballpark and stuff like that. I mean, there's just, I initially I thought people were going to be scared off on Kershaw and he'd be going even lower than he is, and and I, I thought that I was going to try and get sneaky and, and get some exposure to him, but where uh, Kershaw's going, it's it's just not worth the risk, way too much.
1: I agree, no Kershaw for me as well. My third one's Corey Seager. I know he could be great. He just hasn't proven he can play. Again, I'll take Swanson later. Take Willie Adonis later. Plus, going to that ballpark in Texas, massive pitcher's ballpark. Counting stats probably will suffer in that lineup. Just so many downgrades. He got paid. Awesome for him. Congratulations, Corey. You did your thing. Not the best fantasy situation. That's the best I can say. So no Corey Seager for me as well. Listeners, you left great questions. They were answered earlier, I promise. You answered. You asked questions about Lux and other Dodgers. We answered them all, I promise. That was a good you. one, I Lux, to, yeah. That was yeah. The, you know. I, I hate to, I'm not trying to be rude, but this is one of those deals, just life happens. Yeah. It happened in the middle of the podcast. So um, Brock, before we take off,
0: plug what you got going on at FTN and we're going to head on out of here. FTNfantasy.com and then uh, I won't be a part of it, uh, but FTN Daily is where my work was found for uh daily fantasy last year um this year i I won't be a part of it i just got too much other things going on there but um check out ftn i'm sure you all have heard it by now and and vlad and and the whole team over there um and uh hit me up on twitter at brock nest monster i'm pretty easy to find yeah always available
1: brock is awesome make sure you hit him up great stuff as always and uh, again brock i appreciate you joining me um we will do this again sometime um good luck with your future endeavors i'm happy for you awesome stuff my friends always a pleasure chatting with you but uh, everybody that's was bench with bubba episode 439 with the one the only Brock Miller Mr. Brockness Monster catch y'all later